Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Premier Chelsea, your source for all things Premier League, but starting with Chelsea first. Coming to you on your speakers and headsets, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm Jackie from Houston. I have Rahul on the road in New Jersey this week and Alex from Connecticut. I'm sorry, Alex from Maine. <laughs> How are you guys doing? I'm doing good. I was a little, a little excited and sad that I missed Alex in Connecticut. That's right. I was saying, like, I must have got confused there. Alex, how are you feeling? Uh, feeling good, doing well. Um, it's pretty chilly up here in Maine, though. <laughs> I bet that snowstorm was coming through everywhere, and I'm sure you guys got a lot of it. So hopefully we've seen the worst of it, and it's going to be a little bit warmer now. But let's jump right into it. It's FA Cup week, FA Cup review. And it was a very, very early kickoff for me over here. Uh, I'll let you guys get into details. I'll share one fact. I woke up bright and early, excited to watch the game. Uh, I was a little bit groggy, and the first goal comes in against Chelsea, and I went right back to bed. So I'll say that <laughs> over there and get started. But Rahul, why don't you take us through the starting lineup first? That was quite a spoiler. There. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we had Espelicueta, uh, Kepa in goal, uh, Espelicueta at right back, uh, Christensen, Rudiger at center back, and Malang Sar in his newly found left back position. Uh, Mason Mount, Jorginho, and Kovacic in midfield. And then uh, a front three, which was similar to what we had uh, a few games ago, was Hakim Ziyech, Lukaku, and hudson Adoy. Yeah, good starting 11. Alex, your thoughts on the starting 11? Any changes you would have made to it? A very strong side. Um, I think that was that's a perfectly acceptable uh, cup lineup. Uh, I mean, honestly, that's not exactly far off by any stretch of the imagination from our strongest lineup. If you think about the, the team we've been fielding in the league recently, um, you, you really can't complain there. That's showing the opposition quite a bit of respect, which as it turns out, they deserved. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we're playing Plymouth Argyle. And so I personally didn't think we we're going to have this many first team 11 on the field, but obviously Chelsea thought something different and Tuchel thought something different, but Rahul, unfortunately Tuchel couldn't make this game. He couldn't. He tested positive, uh, I think, the morning of the game. And so he had to isolate and, and head home. Uh, but Arno uh, Michels, Michaels, uh, I'm going to go with Michels because go, that goes with the Premier Chels, uh, <laughs> filled in along with some of the other coaches and uh, definitely wished that he could have picked an easier game or, or, or game that we performed a lot better in, but he gets the win. Yeah, he gets the win, and it's nice to kind of see some of the guys behind the scenes, not just always talking about Thomas Tuchel. So we'll go with Mike Chels for now, but we'll look that up later and figure out if we're telling the truth or not. Uh, I did hear that he did deliver the team talks, both at you know starting of the game and halftime, whether that's over Zoom, just like we all are doing today, or if it was a phone call, we don't know yet. But Alex, I think like Rahul said, I gave a little bit of a spoiler. The game kicks off bright and early, and Plymouth Argyle starting with the front foot. Yeah, I mean, that that is something that surprised me. And I, I have to admit, that now is my chance to admit, sort of, I did almost the opposite to you, where I, this was a 7.30 a.m. kickoff for me. <laughs> I definitely had not gotten in bed at, a, at an appropriate time prior <laughs> night. And so I, I woke up at that time, promptly hit the snooze button. Um, and I had sort of hoped I, I would, uh, I would check in on the game periodically. And I think um, some, somewhere through the second half, I looked at the score and I believe it was tied at that point, right. uh, one, one. And so that's when I said, uh Oh, this is a lot closer <laughs> than I thought it would be. Um, I better watch this. So I, I dragged myself up, 
put on the game and I watched the uh, the later period of regular time and then watched extra time. Um, but yeah, when I when I look back and saw we conceded so early, I was like, ooh, that's I mean, that's quite the way to start. Give yourself a hole to dig out of. Um, though it does seem like, especially having seen the stat line and watched how we played at the end um, when Plymouth were really defending for their lives, it seems like we did, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, dominate the game to a, to a good, a good uh, point. But it seems like it also was not our most clinical game and all that possession, all the shots we had weren't really coming to anything. Yeah, Rahul, look, we'll get into kind of the numbers towards the end of this segment because there are some insane numbers. And I don't want to give it away just yet. But like Alex said, you know, he at least came in and watched the later part of the game. Did you catch some parts of the game? And Plymouth Argyle with that first goal that I saw, it was a well-worked goal, a good header. And then from there, I'm wondering, where does Chelsea go? Yeah, I mean, I caught the game on my phone. I was in bed. Uh, it was also 7.30 a.m. here. I, I tuned in with the expectation that we were going to win 6-0, right. 4-0, 3-0, like we had predicted. <laughs> um, and that goal goes in, and I'm kind of in and out, dozing off, watching the game. Um, but credit to Plymouth Argyle. They came in with the plan. They came in with the intensity. Uh, I don't want to make an excuse, but they did play a, a week before, unlike us who had taken a two-week break, which we needed. So I can't can't have it both ways. Um, but maybe they were a little bit sharper. They were up for this game totally. And, and that early goal uh, comes at the right time for them because yeah. they now have something to hold on to. And having seen what Middlesbrough did the night before, they started to believe. And, and it was up to us to fight back, come back, and, and close this game out. We tried. I mean, we hit the post. We hit the bar. Kovacic, I think Hudson Adoy, uh, Kovacic again. So we were trying to make things happen. It weren't, they weren't happening the post uh, bar coming into play uh, lack of kind of cl clinical attacks and other aspects, but that's the magic of the FA cup. You, you got to earn your spot in the next round. And, and we certainly were made to work hard for it. We definitely were made to work hard for it. I mean, again, we'll talk about numbers towards the end of the segment because those are huge, but Alex, our captain comes in clutch for this particular instance and Maybe you can describe the goal because I thought that was a Zola-esque goal, if I say so myself. Yeah, it was a, a brilliant back heel sort of flick um, from Azpilicueta. And you've got to say, I mean, what a legacy he has here at Chelsea. Yes. Because after yeah. all, after all of his, after everything he's won here, um, some people have said, you know, he's starting to slow down. I think it's not an insult to say he's, he's not quite at his peak anymore. He's definitely getting older. And yet he's still delivering. He's still quite consistent. Here he comes up huge uh, with a much-needed equalizer. I mean, you, you've just got to respect it. And, and he's still he's putting up numbers still. He, he, gets, he gets assists now and then. And apparently he, he pops up on the goal sheet, too, in a time of serious need. Um, it was a great, a great little uh, quick cross for Mason Mount. Yeah. And Aspie adjusted his feet fast and found a way to get the ball in the net in a, in a really uh, aesthetic fashion. So props to him for that. Um, I've got to say, I, I, was, I was lucky enough to chat with him uh, through Sinathon um, on a video call. And I asked him, what, uh, you've won everything there is to win here at Chelsea. You've just racked up the trophies. Uh, what's next? Do you feel like you've completed sort of your time here? He said, we just want more. Once you've tasted trophies, <laughs> you want to keep going for it. And clearly he was playing like that today. 
uh, or not, not today during the game um, because he, he came up and I guess drags us out of this hole single-handedly. So, so massive credit to Aspi for a brilliant career with Chelsea and he's clearly not done yet. Yeah. And Rahul, you had a chance to talk to Aspi Liquetta as well through Sanaton. And I think one of the questions you asked him, he's played all over the pitch. Where else would he like to play? And he said he'd like to try striker. Maybe he's trying to prove himself in his uh, older days at Chelsea. He is, and he's clearly seeing the attackers not do much. So <laughs> he he steps up, and he made a good run into the box and yeah. was agile enough and, and nimble enough to backflick the, the ball instead of maybe taking a touch and trying to swirl it or, or do anything else. But credit to him, and I, I think I agree with everything Alex said. The, the man continues to play like it's his first day and he impresses every game and uh, we don't know what's going to happen at the end of the season but he's been a great captain and a great servant to this club and I know we'll talk about the club world cup in a little bit but he could be the first Chelsea captain to lift that trophy and, and what an achievement that would be. Yeah I mean that just kind of puts the cherry on top of the entire uh, Sunday that he's built for himself over here but let's talk about that second half a little bit I mean we go in 1-1 at halftime then, you know, it's kind of status quo, Chelsea having all the possession, all the chances. But we make a couple of subs. Kai Havertz comes on, Timo Werner. Alex, did they have much of an impact on the game? Not from what I could see. I mean, it, it just wasn't really clicking for Chelsea. And I, this was the period of the game that I was, I was, I had finally roused myself for. Um, and I was, I was watching just chance after chance. It was, it was completely one-sided really. And yet, we just weren't making it happen in the final third. Um, there was certainly a lot to be desired in terms of our attack that game. And I think it's rightfully raised a few concerns that we've had for a little while about our attackers just not quite clicking. Um, we've just got so many different combinations we can put together. I will, I will say yet again, Hakeem Ziyech stepped up and really did impress me. And he looked he looked dynamic all match. He was spraying in good passes. He was putting in great delivery as usual. His dribbling was impressive. He carved out some good shooting opportunities, but you know, no, no one player can do it alone. And our team was just not clicking. So that was, I was honestly relieved in a weird way to see us get to extra time because I was, I was worried, you know, if, if they get, I think at towards the end of normal time, um, Plymouth had a corner or two and I was just thinking goodness if if they sneak in a goal here we are really going to look dumb because we've spent this entire time racking up shots in possession and had nothing to show for it so um I will say I was almost I was almost happy for extra time to come because I thought to myself you know what full credit to Plymouth but with another 30 minutes to play I think hopefully given a little breather a little tactical readjustment um, hopefully the boys can go out and probably the superior fitness um, and quality of the Chelsea squad will shine through. But I mean, you've got to give credit to Plymouth there. They did not make it easy on us. Yeah, that's definitely well said. And Rahul, Alex touched on something that's been happening to Chelsea for the best part of three or four months now. And that's just, it's not happening in the final third. I think that's the best way you could phrase it. I'll run through the stats now. I've been teasing them for a few <laughs> minutes here, but 41 shots to Plymouth's 11, with 11 on target to Plymouth's 5, 72% of the ball to 28 to Plymouth. We strung together 769 passes to Plymouth's 308. So we're more than double across the field on all of the stats that should matter. We are 
again, ending up that first 90 minutes with a 1-1, like we just touched on, what's up with our front attacking trio, 2-1, whatever the situation may be, whatever the formation may be, how can this change? Man, if I had that answer, I, I would be in Abu Dhabi with two close uh, coaching staff. I, I don't know, man. It's, it's, it's frustrating, right? Like, when was Lukaku's last good game? Aston Villa, maybe away when he comes yeah. on and scores and, and then draws a penalty, which was Boxing Day, December 26th. We're now well, well over a over month, a month. Yeah. Uh, uh, since that game. And he's had the interview, and it's uh, maybe that's distracted him, but we've kind of put that behind us. And this is where we want him to perform. If you're not going to score against Plymouth Argyle, no disrespect to them. They took us pretty much the brink of elimination uh, in the FA Cup. But you look at yourself as, as Lukaku, and, and you these are the games you want to make it, an impact and, and say, my team's struggling here. We've had 41 shots, but I'm going to step up and, and make one of these count. And maybe he tried. I mean, I can't say I watched the full game, so maybe he did try. But it just doesn't seem to work with him. And, and there's shots for him to go back. There's shots for him us to sell him. I highly doubt that this board or the club are going to say after a year of investing a hundred million pounds in him, right. you're going out the door. We didn't even do that with Murata and we spend way right. less. So he's here to stay now. It's up to us and it's up to the squad and it's up to Tuchel to ultimately get the best out of him. Uh, because if he doesn't, it's just a problem that's going to grow and, and someone's going to have to pay for it. And it's not going to be the board. It's not going to be the player. It's going to be someone within that coaching staff. And, and I hate to say that. Uh, but coming back to your original question, I don't know. It's, Hakeem Ziyech stepped up. He's got a good run of games and he's playing well. Hudson Adoy, there's still a lot to be desired there. Then Kai and Timo come on and they don't really set the world alight. And so you're, you're wondering and left wondering, where is our attack? Uh, and we're fully relying on, on our defenders to score. And they've been doing it. But at some game and in some game and at some point, it's not going to work and we're going to falter and, and fall short yeah look you've summarized it very well over then before we dissect that extra time period which a lot of action happened and Alex do you share similar thoughts and feelings specifically about about Lukaku and where Rahul's headed with what he's thought about Lukaku's performances so far yeah I think it's he just hasn't really been doing enough and I I, I understand I'm not a I'm not a person who thinks players need to score every game to do well um, I think there have been some performances that I've, I've noticed, especially this season, where I've, I've thought to myself, you know what, that player kind of went under the radar. Um, for example, I, I remember having really focused on Polisic when we beat Juventus 4-0. He didn't get on the score sheet, um, but a lot of people for that reason were saying he played poorly. And I was thinking, well, he might have had not the, not the most brilliant game, but the attack was ticking around him. He was making good runs. He was drawing space and we demolished Juventus four nil with him at a false nine, which is not even his natural position. Right. So I've come to sort of accept that, you know what players can have good impacts even without scoring. We've seen in our, our now famous champions league final victory, Timo Werner really dragging Ruben Diaz wide and allowing Kai Havertz to get in for that iconic goal. So a player doesn't have to score to put in a good performance, but I think as Rahul said, there hasn't been a good performance even without scoring from Lukaku in some time now. And I think it's, it's not something where you want to 
you want to sugarcoat it because this is a serious problem. He's a hundred million player yeah. and he's not really come out and stamped his authority on the team. He's not come out and shown the quality that we know he probably has. It's just not clicking right now. And his effort from what I saw and from what a lot of others were saying, just didn't really convey that he cared quite enough. Um, and, you know, maybe, maybe that's, maybe that's subjective and maybe just because he's not like the smallest, fastest, most agile player, it sometimes looks like he's not running as much or pressing as much, but he just didn't quite seem to be in, in that final mode of like high focus, high intensity. Yeah. Uh, it was just another very lackluster game from him. And that's okay. I've, I've sort of recently come to terms with the fact that players cannot shine every game. There are going to be off games, even for the best players, but it's just been too long since we've seen some real drive and purpose from him. Um, so yeah, I, I, I agree. I don't think the board, the board accepts taking a loss on him with what we paid, but I personally think he needs to find some time on the bench because we have a lot of attackers vying for those spots. And I don't think we can afford any more games than we've already given, um, to spend or I guess use up one of our 11 positions on the pitch with a player who's just not clicking and doesn't appear to be giving it quite everything he could. So uh, for me, that's, that's gotta be time to just let Kai or Timo in Uh, Timo. Obviously I think, I think one of his very first actions was an offside run, which is very classic (laughs) Timo Werner. And yet I will say, I just like the dynamism of his yeah. game. And I like the fact that he is making those runs. So I think it's time for one of our German boys to get a run of games up top. Um, and that's not even that. I, I think they're better than Lukaku or anything. I just think they're probably going to put in a little more effort. And frankly, they can't be worse than what we're seeing right now, which is no goals and no great off the ball contributions. Yeah. As much as it pains me to say, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you guys. I think, Maybe it's time for our 100 million man to sit out a few games. Maybe he has to work a little harder to earn his way back into the team rather than just he's the default starter. But again, well said from both of you guys. Rahul, why don't you talk us through extra time? Because a lot of action happened in that last 30 minutes there. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of the same where, you know, we were, as Alex said, the 30 minutes was going to benefit us more than more than Plymouth because we were uh, able to refresh. We were able to bring on some new players with five substitutions. Uh, you spoke about Timo and Kai. Alonso did come on too. So uh, we were able to throw in some more quality or to, or try to impact the game a little more than Plymouth. And, and extra time showed that as well. Uh, and we finally get a goal from from Marcus Alonso or, or other wing back or, or uh, fullback, as you, you'd say. Uh, but the assist comes from Kai Havertz. So you got to kind of give him credit there where he uh, gets into a position where he can put in the ball. But uh, you got to talk about Alonso and his positioning who makes a run directly into the middle of the box and finishes it off pretty well. Uh, and it was always going to be the next team that scored the second goal. Like, since it was 1-1, was always going to kind of head on to go and win this game, even though we will talk about another incident here in a second. Uh, and Alonso does that. And at that point, you're thinking, okay, we're now in a point where we can go on and win this game and get to the next round. But we still still made it a, a meal of it. And even with the 15 minutes that were left, uh, we were never truly going to get a third, but we were always leaving the door open for conceding a, a second. 
And that's something that always puts us at risk. I think you've said it many times in this podcast, 2-1 is an extremely dangerous scoreline for any team to have. But before we move on to that situation that we're all kind of tiptoeing around, I wanted to talk about Timo Werner for a second because Alex alluded to his his positional play and his movement. He actually was the one that found Kai Havertz with a little one-two with a lovely through ball and Kai Havertz, of course, finding Alonso. But Alex, a little praise for the Germans. They've not always had amazing games or amazing times at Chelsea. Of course, Kai Havertz is a Champions League goal-scoring winner, but any thoughts on those two as they came on? They seem to always hustle whenever they do come on. Yeah, I think they I think they come on and they do they do try quite hard, which is it's always admirable. Um, I think things could go more smoothly for them. I don't think this is the game that puts the doubts about them to bed. Um, this was far from a game that's that's saying, uh, you know, haters, forget it. These guys are back. I don't think they were <laughs> obviously outstanding by any stretch of the imagination, but a nice little combination of play. Um, gets us the crucial goal so you can't complain with that and that's something maybe I mean just just as I've uh, as as I was sort of saying earlier I, I think that's something that's very underrated players who can have an impact even when they're having a not a great game I think it's very key because some players I think we've we've actually made this conversation uh, I, this comparison rather um, I'm not sure if it's been us particularly, but I've seen I've seen a lot of comparison between Timo Werner and Alvaro Morata. And something I've always believed and that I've seen other people uh, echoing is the idea that Timo brings us something even when he's not necessarily scoring and playing well, versus I think we often saw Morata sort of checking out of a game when he was isolated a little bit, when he wasn't able to get on the score sheet. He just didn't seem to be really putting in quite as much effort, um, quite as much intensity off the ball I think there's something to be said for just continuing to try and try again and try again even if things aren't working out and you're having a bit of a poor game because eventually it's a game of human error it's a game of chance sometimes eventually a little combo comes off like we saw defender steps out of position and just by nature of keeping your head in the game keeping trying even when you aren't at your best, you make something happen. So we saw the Germans who had not really impressed for their cameo combine, eventually set up this Marcus Alonso goal. And I've got to give a shout out to Marcus Alonso because as much as I think he gets criticized at times and, and almost every Chelsea fan would agree, our season really took a downturn when Ben Chilwell suffered a serious injury. Right. Yeah. And we've been crying for potentially, uh, there have been debates about whether we need a new left back, left wing back um, in this period to cover for Chilwell's absence. So I would say Marcus Alonso has not always been uh, super respected by the Chelsea fans because he, he does have his moments of, of being defensively suspect, but he is known to come up with a clutch goal when we need it. I can think of a number of London derbies where he's just come up with something out of nowhere. I don't know how he finds himself in the box so often. I, I think we've joked on the podcast before that we should give him a run at striker during some of these Absolutely. dry spells. Yeah, it's just, it's impressive. And I've got to give some respect to him because he's been here for a while and maybe he's not our strongest option. Maybe we, his days might be a little numbered in terms of how, how well he fits the system and, and performs, but he's come up with the goods yet again. So almost similarly to Azpilicueta there, I think, You've got to give some respect to players for just continuing to step up, even when you maybe write them off as the player that's going to have the biggest impact in the game. So as it turns out, two of our aging Spanish defenders come up with really key, key moments to get us through. 
Yeah, lovely words about Lonzo, another man who's pretty much won everything with Chelsea at this point. So good to hear. And wingbacks continue to score goals, even when they're not the first choice wingbacks. But let's talk about the last few minutes of the game and wrap it up. Rahul, Plymouth, Argyle, they don't seem to want to give up, or is it something we made a mess of? A little bit of both. I think we were in a mindset, or and it seemed like it, that we were going to see it through at 2-1. Uh, with I think it was the 118th minute, Plymouth were tiring out and, and were looking to say, okay, I think it's it's coming to a point where we've given it our all, but we're going to try. And they did try. They press uh, Malangsar into a mistake. Uh, ball falls into the box with the Plymouth player. Malangsar comes in, rashfully takes him down, uh, argues that it's not a penalty. VAR says it is. And in the 118th minute, Plymouth Argyle, their fans, everyone's holding their breath. Uh, and for us, we're throwing our hopes onto Kepa, who's done great this season, and, and, and there's no doubting his abilities to save penalties. But you all, it, this almost felt like it was a moment where it was going to be tied to two, and our morale was going to be down again, and we're going to have to step up again and, and go again. But that didn't happen. And uh, Ryan Hardy, to his credit, uh, stepped up in this crucial moment for Plymouth. Unfortunately, came up against a defined Keppa, a Keppa who is recently in a new relationship, which adds a whole new uh, <laughs> dimension to his abilities. And, and she was in the crowd. So I think that even added another uh, kind of determination from his side to save that penalty. And he does. And at that point, you can say that we had successfully won the game. But we really, really, really tried every way not to win this game. <laughs> Yeah, look, I got to do my little pun here. And Kepa at penalties shows his capabilities to make sure we keep a clean sheet. But Alex, you put up a post about Kepa and how with Tuchel or under Tuchel in the last few games, he really is becoming what we saw of Kepa back in 2018-ish, where he can really fit into any team provided he keeps up his constant performances like he has. Yeah, he's he's completely turned his career around from from that tough low point where he was conceding a lot of goals. He was getting criticized everywhere. He's, he sort of just came back from the brink there and just put his head down, worked hard. I, I, I feel like I spend a disproportionate amount of my time praising Keppa, which is a little weird. You would think normally for your team's backup goalkeeper. And yet I just have so much respect for how he handled um, being heavily criticized by every media outlet, every fan base, including his own. Um, I, I, Clearly, the, 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 the board of his club went out and directly uh, bought a replacement right after paying a world record goalkeeper fee for him, instantly went out, bought a new goalkeeper, clearly to replace him. They didn't have faith, and yet he's just kept his head down, worked hard, and he's won us multiple trophies at this point, uh, multiple European trophies. Kepa's European trophy cabinet far exceeds some clubs who, who see themselves as our rivals. Uh, he, he, with Europa League penalty heroics, he was heavily responsible for us winning the Europa League in what I believe was his first season with us. Um, he was the penalty hero in the Super Cup that we won last summer. And then um, he's had some great penalty performances in the Carabao Cup, uh, some saves against Tottenham, save against Manchester City. And then here you have him coming up absolutely clutch in deep into added time, 118th minute. And, and keeping us in the FA Cup with a fantastic save. So th I've just got to say, it's 
it's really impressive how he's turned around his sort of legacy at Chelsea and really taken ownership of it. And I, I unironically think Chelsea have the best goalkeepers in the world, not necessarily Kepa. I would, I wouldn't put it above some of the, the world-class goalkeepers at, at other teams, but I think Mendy, I, in my opinion, my biased opinion is if, if not the best goalkeeper in the world, top three. And I think Kepa, frankly, on form is top 10 because there are very few other keepers that have come in. And I think Kepa's expected goals conceded. I brought this up in the past. He's outperformed it by 10 points, meaning there are 10 goals he should have conceded based on the situation of the shot around him that he hasn't. Meanwhile, um, during his rough spell, it was deep in the negatives. He was conceding more goals than he should. He's turned himself into a capable shot stopper. He's shutting down 1v1s regularly in several of our games that he didn't even keep a clean sheet this season when we've conceded multiple goals on occasion he's still saved multiple 1v1s and kept the scoreline from being even bigger so to me this is an ultimate success story of a a keeper who was quite young forced into a position of a lot of pressure with a big transfer fee went through a rough patch that really could have could have derailed the career and and we've seen unfortunately uh, with keepers such as uh, maybe Loris Karius, for instance, who had some big blunders on the big stage of the Champions League final with Liverpool, never really came back from that. Um, right. He just like Kepa, he was getting threats, he was getting criticism, and he just couldn't find a way back. And somehow, I've I've just got to applaud Kepa for coming up big, winning us now multiple trophies and keeping us in this competition. Um, so he's honestly just one of my favorite players now in terms of the mindset, the mentality he showed, and he's never come out uh, unlike a, f- a famous uh, Milanese export. <laughs> he's never come out behind the back of his club and tried to question uh, the the state of Chelsea. He's just kept his head down, worked hard, and and earned a serious place here. So uh, just full respect for him. Uh, it's great to see a player coming back like that. Yeah, I think that's key is he's gone through a very tough time but has never come out publicly and made a meal of it especially since he is the world's most expensive goalkeeper he's just stuck his head down and worked really really hard Rahul Chelsea are blessed they've got two amazing goalkeeper goalkeepers it takes me back to the original days of uh, Kudicini and Czech always going back and forth for the first number one and you kind of know in your heart who's going to get number one but if your number one's out you have full faith that your number two coming in is another brilliant goalkeeper yeah, absolutely. And and when Alex was saying all of those excellent points about about Kappa and and everything that he's done to turn it around, uh, this is one position where you and I have spoken about this in the past when we talk about the Jose Mourinho teams, where every position had two solid players right. and two capable players to come in and replace each other. This is one position you look at in the squad and you say, if these two can stay happy with with kind of the rotation and playing with each other and going back and forth. We're set in that position for a number of years. Yeah, easily. Um, and to to another point, I think Tuchel deserves a lot of credit too in the Kepa turnaround. Obviously, Kepa has done his piece, uh, but at the time where Tuchel came in, Kepa was a liability to this right. club and, and to the fan base. It's similar point to what Alex was saying, but I think he's gone to him and he said, you take the time you need to kind of get yourself back to the point where you are the goalie that everyone knows that you can be. Uh, but in the meantime, I'm going to let Mendy run with this and, and I'll slowly ease you back into this. And he's had, he's, I think I think back to a, a game last February where Mendy was dropped in quotes, but it was really an opportunity to give Mendy a break and bring Kepa in. 
and it was a Premier League game. It wasn't a cup game, and, and Tuchel did that. So uh, as much as Kepa has been brilliant, and I don't disagree with any of that, I think a little bit of the credit does have to go to Tuchel and his squad. And uh, and I think Enrique Lario, who was in that coaching squad, and at the end of this game, Kepa went up to him and gave him a hug, and I think they exchanged a good moment. So he's kind of helping him too sure. in the background. Yeah, I love that we can continue to bring in old players and help in the coaching staff and things like that because they know how Chelsea operates and they know what they can do to help us long-term. But that summarizes it, guys. We went 2-1. We squeezed through in this particular game. And so I hope we can build off of this and not have any more nervy moments. But before we move on and talk about some other things around in football, Rahul, maybe you can run us through some of the FA Cup results that happened just really quickly. I know there were some David and Goliath situations that went down. Yeah, I'll, I'll just run through a few. So Middlesbrough knocked uh, Manchester United out. That was a game that ended 1-1. A little bit of uh, controversy with Middlesbrough's equalizer, um, but they get the job done and they move on. Uh, Leicester City go out to Nottingham Forest, and that's a shock, but not really, because Nottingham Forest also knocked Arsenal out in the last yeah. round. So they've now taken out two Premier League teams. Uh, and... I know what Alex is thinking and wants to say about Arsenal, but Alex, hold those thoughts. <laughs> um, Borham took out Bournemouth, United, uh, Bournemouth from, from the championship. And that was another uh, surprising game because Bournemouth were heavy favorites going into this. Uh, West Ham beat Kidminster in extra time, but that also took a lot of effort from West Ham's part. Uh, I'll skip over some of the games here. Uh, Tottenham beat Brighton, Stoke City beat Wigan Athletic, so it's the kind of regular uh, results as, you, as you'd expect. Norwich City came up big against Wolves, which was kind of a surprise. Uh, and then Everton beat Brentford, Super Frank in his first game, winning 4-1. Uh, a brilliant performance. The Everton fans were chanting his name, Super Frank, Super Frank. <laughs> um, and I watched that game after our Chelsea game, and I, I, I watched it as, with as much interest as the Chelsea game, if not a little bit more. Um, and they did well. And then our eventual opponents for the next round, Luton Town beat Cambridge. Okay. All right. So a lot of interesting situations there. A lot of Goliath and David and Goliath situations where some small teams have come up and beat some bigger teams. But that's the FA Cup. I think anybody can come up from down and really get a good opportunity to make some good money as well when you're coming from the lower leagues and making a good opportunity of the whole situation. But uh, let's jump into AFCON for just a quick couple of minutes here, guys. I know we want to move on to the World Club Cup, but uh, Rahul, I'll stick with you and then maybe you can turn it over to Alex and give us a quick synopsis of the Senegal versus Egypt game. Yeah, I mean, another tight game, a game where you don't expect uh, a lot of goals, especially in the final. Senegal did have an early opportunity to go 1-0 up. Uh, Sadio Mane missed the penalty, and so it stayed 0-0. Uh, went into extra time, stayed nil-nil, and then it was down to the uh, lottery of the penalties, and, and Senegal won it 4-2. Uh, and Edward Mendy, we've given Kepa a lot of praise. Mendy, who's been away with Senegal, uh, steps up and saves his own penalty for Senegal, and that gives Mane an opportunity to step up and score the fifth and final penalty and make it 4-2. So congratulations to Senegal, congratulations to Mendy, who is now champion of the African continent too. Uh, and hopefully in about a week's time, he'll be a champion of the world. So uh, I'll let Alex cover kind of the uh, rise to fame for Mendy, uh, and then we can jump into the Club World Cup. Yeah, I think Mendy's someone you've just got to you've just got to say what a what a year. But at this point, it's it's even more than a year that, that he's had. <laughs> and I think we've we've covered in the past his impressive rise from from being unemployed. Um, to working his way uh, through 
several clubs in France. Um, there, he was promoted, I believe, um, in France, and then finally gets his chance to shine with, with Chelsea um, later in his career, maybe then a lot of goalkeepers emerge. And yet he's just been absolutely massive, ridiculously good, frankly, robbed of the Yashin trophy. Um, but won everything else uh, was, I'm, I'm forgetting exactly what is was was it the FIFA me, FIFA men's goalkeeper the, the best year? goalkeeper yeah best goalkeeper there you go um, and so yeah with a Champions League win a Super Cup win he's now won the first uh, Afcon victory in his country's history what you, you just got to say what a what a rise what a rise to the top for Mendy and what a year he's had the guy just deserves everything and he's yet another fantastic success uh, success story. Uh, I think that's, that's something I do like about Chelsea. We were talking about the, the Kepa sort of rise from the ruins earlier. You've got Mendy here who, who has come up and just had a really inspiring uh, story of, of his, his path. You have, I think we've all, we all know N'Golo Conte has an extremely inspiring story as well of how he just, kept working hard, worked his way through it and found massive success um, internationally and on the club side. And now Mendy's getting a taste of that as well with some international uh, glory in addition to uh, fantastic club performances. So uh, all I can say is what a couple of days for, for some great Chelsea goalkeepers and really happy to see them winning. Yeah. And just like you guys have given credit to Tuchel for help, helping Kepa and even Hilario, one of the things we always forget is Petr Cech actually went to scout Mendy right. and said, let's bring this guy in because regardless of what happens with Kepa, he's another one that can keep pushing Chelsea up. So uh, again, like I, I reiterated earlier, I love to see some of our ex-players coming in as coaches, in this case as, as director of football and helping Chelsea grow from there. But that's AFCON, like you guys have said, Senegal versus Egypt, two great teams and Senegal takes it away. So huge congratulations to both of them. But Let's jump into the Club World Cup. And Rahul, I think you've got a fun little quiz for us to play today. I do. It's, uh, it's more of an educational kind of, uh, instead of us just talking about it, uh, have you and Alex go head to head and, and we can talk about some of these things while uh, doing the quiz. So Alex, I'll start with you. Uh, as we know, this tournament was rescheduled from last year to this year. Uh, so where was it initially scheduled to be held in 2021? Uh, Korea, uh, Japan, or India? Wait, wait. So, okay, I didn't know I was getting options. That's helpful. <laughs> Give me those one more time. <laughs> okay, so let me, for both of you, I'll read out three questions each, and there'll be three options each. And then if there's a tie, there's a tiebreaker. So first question for you, Alex, is this tournament was initially scheduled to be held in 2021. Where was it initially going to be? Is it Korea, India, or Japan? Wow. Um, I feel like my spidey senses are telling me that it was going to be held in uh, <laughs> Japan, maybe. And that is correct. So that was, that was a good guess, but uh, Japan was the initial location for this to be held in December. Uh, they said due to COVID outbreak and, and the situation around that, they didn't want, didn't feel comfortable hosting it. So it was rescheduled uh, to Abu Dhabi for uh, February of this year. Uh, Jackie, I'm going to take you back to the last time we were in this uh, tournament. 
Uh, I thought Alex might have been a little too young, so I saved those questions for you. But who was the Chelsea manager in 2012 when we entered this tournament? Was it Robbie Di Matteo, Gus Hiddink, or Rafa Benitez? It was in December that we entered this tournament. Yes. 2013. So Rafael Benitez, because I think we had just fired Robbie Di Matteo. That is correct. It was Rafa Benitez in December of 2012, uh, originally when this tournament is supposed to be held. Uh, and Di Matteo was, was fired in November and Benitez came in and, and took us to the tournament. Um, Alex, I'm coming back to you. We're going to focus on this year's tournament. So apart from Chelsea, who are the other team that are seeded, which means they don't get to play the initial couple of rounds? Is it Al Hali from Egypt, Monterey from Mexico, or Palmeiras from Brazil? Ah, uh, <laughs> now that's that's a tough one. I would go with. Is it Al Ali? Is that your final answer? <laughs> I, I'm gonna, I'm, I, yeah, I'm, I'm committing to it. Though, though I feel like it's probably Palmeiras, but I said that one first, so I'll go for it. It is Palmeiras, but um, since you said Al Ali, that is the wrong answer. So Palmeiras, who are the champions of the South American continent, uh, yep. go and seated along with Chelsea, who are the champions of the, of the European continent. Uh, Jackie, who was the last English team to have won the Club World Cup? Was it Chelsea, Manchester United, or Liverpool? It was Liverpool, I think, a couple of years ago. That is correct. That was the first time they had won it after going into it in 2005 where they had lost it. Um, Alex, your third and final question. Who did Chelsea beat in their first game of the tournament the last time we were in, in it? So I'm taking you back a little bit, but was it Olsan, Hyundai, Al-Ali, or Monterey? Monterey, I believe. That is correct. It was 3-1. All right, Jackie. So... If you get this right, you win it. Uh, otherwise, we go into a tiebreaker. Who were Chelsea's two goal scorers in this tournament in uh, 2012? Was it Mata and Torres, Lampard and Mata, or Torres and Drogba? Honestly, I'm just going to shoot in the dark because I, I can't remember at all. I think it's probably the one with Mata and Torres. That is correct. They scored <laughs> two goals in the 3-1 win against Monterey, and the third one was an own goal. Uh, and then we went on to the final and lost at 1-0. So they were our two goal scorers in that tournament. Um, that wraps it up. Jackie does win it 3-2, but I will read out the tiebreaker just in case, uh, just to share some some fun facts. So who is the player that has participated in the most Club World Cups? It's five as a hint. Is it Lionel Messi, Ronaldo, Tony Cruz, or Danny Alves? And either one of you can give me your guesses. Yeah, I think it might be Tony Cruz based on the number of Champions Leagues he's won. Alex, is that your... Yeah, I, I would think so. But, yeah, I would think so. <laughs> and, and you're both right. He's participated in five and won them all. He appeared in 2013 for Bayern Munich and then four times for Real Madrid. Yeah. So uh, just a little bit of history. Obviously, Chelsea-focused, but the last question with... Uh, Tony Cruz and, and Bayern Munich and Real Madrid. Uh, and Real Madrid are the, the team that have won this tournament the most. Uh, four, I believe, five times, actually. Uh, four times. And then Liverpool and Manchester United are the on only English teams to have won it. So we could become the third team, uh, hopefully in about a week's time, to, to win this tournament. Yeah, that would be it, something... Guys. Yeah, that'd be something nice to add to the trophy cabinet. And, you know, just continue this 
little parade we've been on of European trophies and now world trophies, hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But Rahul, you want to take us home? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the tournament for us starts on Wednesday, uh, December 9th, uh, February 9th. I'm, I'm, I'm in December. Uh, February 9th against Al-Hilal who won 6-1 against Al Jazeera today. So they're coming into this uh, in some good form, and, and they are Asian Asian Champions League winners. Uh, so that's no easy team for us, but uh, we're Chelsea, and when we should be looking to make the final. And if we make the final, we could play either Palmeiras or Al-Ali. So uh, tough game waits for us in the final. If we make it, if not, we go into the third place uh, game, which would kind of suck, but uh, we'll, we'll keep our fingers crossed, and we've seen the squad fly out there, uh, 23-man squad, which includes Reese James, who is headed out to do some warm, warm weather training, so that should be good for him, and uh, he should be coming back, hopefully, with a medal around his, his chest, uh, along with some of the other guys. But that wraps it up, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Please continue, continue to subscribe, like, and follow us. It's at the Premier Chels, Apple, Spotify, Google, YouTube, and Instagram, and on Twitter, it's at Premier Chels. And as always, send us your feedback and we will be back with a new episode next week, hopefully doing a, a preview to the Club World Cup final. Until then, stay safe and up the chelts.